Somebody wanted to go with Big Sister. We've missed you, but I don't think six weeks have gone by. Did they let you out on good behavior? Or? Okay. Okay. So you'll go back down. All right. All right. Be assured we're praying for you, Russ. Russ is doing some experimental cancer treatments at U of M. He's a guinea pig. <laughs> but so, What's that? That's about, about it. Yeah. So be praying for him. Remember him. He, I know he's on our Wednesday prayer list. If you're not here on Wednesday nights, shame on you. You need to be here for prayer. We need to pray as a body. We need to pray for one another. Um, I'd say enough said, but my whole sermon's on that today, so not enough said. We'll get there. All right. Um, Back to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Last week we were looking at Satan's tools. We know that he persecutes. Used persecution, 1 Peter and John, after they healed the through the power of the Holy Spirit, healed the lame man in the temple. They were thrown in prison and then said, don't, and you go, but don't preach, don't mention that name anymore. Next thing we know, all the apostles are in jail. They come out, they get beaten to some of them, most likely with an inch of their life. And they say, they're told, go and don't say that name anymore. Don't talk about the resurrection. So Satan tried to and the church very early on through persecution, and praise God, it did not work. He introduced hypocrisy and, and dishonesty through Ananias and Sapphira, lying to the Holy Spirit in the church. Didn't work. They wanted, they wanted to be like, well, let me, I, I, I never remember it right, so I'm going to look. They wanted to be like Joseph, a Levite and of Cyprian birth, Okay. They wanted to be like another man more than they wanted to be like God. And so that hypocrisy was very evident in that they died on the spot. The Holy Spirit took their life right out of them because they lied with the intention of gaining glory for themselves and not giving God the glory. Last week we began chapter 6, and and this is one of those occasions it's, Probably, well, it is rare that, that we're going to go over the same seven verses we did last week, but we'll, we'll mention some of the same points, but it's going to be very different at the same time. And I, I'm, going to, I'm going to read this. Squabbling distracts leadership from prayer and preaching and so exposes the church to error and evil. We've mentioned many times one of the signs of a Holy Spirit-filled church is that it will grow by numbers, okay? In, in, in those in, in churches that pursue numbers as a purpose and a goal, it's basically idolatry. They're, they're worshiping growth more than the one who gives the growth. And we need to be cautious of that, but at the same time, growth should not scare us. 
Numbers growth is a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit, ripe is rotting, green is growing. Okay, ripe is right. You're either dying or you're growing. There's no stagnation point in between. If you think, well, we can, we can, you know, not grow very fast and be a, no. In, in Revelation, he talks about us being, you know, lukewarm. And he'd rather vomit us out of his mouth being lukewarm. He'd rather we were cold or hot, but not lukewarm. There needs to be growth. And just because we think, oh, we're not, you know, we might not be growing much, but at least we're not dying. Wrong answer. We are dying if we are not growing. Okay? And a growing church is a sign of the Holy Spirit working. And if the Holy Spirit's not working here, we are dying. Chapter 6, verse 1. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in numbers. Cool. It's increasing in numbers. There's thought that at this time, by chapter 6 in Acts, that the church was in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem was up around the neighborhood of 20,000 people. Because if you remember in those days, the, the, the um, numbers were usually t- counted by the men. So it would be like family units. So that when it says there was 5,000 or, or 2,000 or 3,000 added to the church, it, just because dad was saved doesn't mean the family saved, but usually they would bring their families with them to church and they would hear the gospel and be saved too. So there, there's thought that the church at this point was right around 20,000 already. And, and Pentecost wasn't that long ago. So the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is at work. And with work or increase, the very next line arose among the part of the Hellenistic Jews against their native, he, native Hebrews. <coughs> Excuse me. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. When a church grows, there's issues that have to be addressed. There's things that happen. I mean, you got to have a bigger parking lot. You may need a bigger building. Not that we need a building to have a church, but it's a good dry place to meet and a warm place in the winter. You've got to have somebody that knows something about plumbing or electric or carpet or lights. I mean, stuff happens when you grow, when you get bigger. What happened here is not one of those things that is required as a church grows. In fact, it's one of those things that should never be a part of the church. Squabbles. There is nothing in any, I mean, and in, in, in it's different when you're, when you're talking leadership and you, you go through the phases of storming, norming, and normal, whatever the, I, I'm, I'm getting older, I'm forgetting some of those from my military training days, but there's, you know, storming, norming, and as the team builds and gets better and closer together, that's not what this is talking about. This was murmur, murmuring. This was backbiting. This was talking behind the apostles' back. This was not constructive criticism. This was not going, hey, guys, we have a need here. we got a problem. What are we going to do to fix it? That is not what was happening here. They were, they were backbiting. They were speaking poorly of the apostles. And they, they were making it a cultural thing. Now, we, we know that nothing in our society today would ever try to use culture or race or anything to advantage. We, we know that. That just wouldn't happen. But for somehow, some reason, it creeped into the church here. The, Hellenic, the, 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 the Jews that had been either 
their parents were removed or they were removed from Jerusalem with the, with the dispersion of the Jews because of their sin and not following God. And they, they grew up under the Greeks. They learned Greek and they learned the Greek culture. And they came back to Jerusalem and the Hebrews that had remained there, they were, they were grown and staunched in the Hebrew traditions in that and spoke Aramaic, didn't like these Greeks coming back because they didn't feel like they were, you know, you got the purists. They weren't pure. And so we got, they, well, you know, they weren't getting, their, their widows weren't getting as much food in the food line as the Hebrew widows were. Growing churches have problems, but murmuring, gongusmas, and I'm sure I'm slaughtering the Greek, I'm sorry, should not be one of those issues that come up in the church where you remember that that word gongusmas is the same word that refers and, and referred to the Israelites and their complaining against Moses and against God in the wilderness. All they did in grumble, it wasn't constructive, it wasn't helpful. All it did was tear down, and it was one of the tools used by Satan, along with the persecution and the hypocrisy. Turn with me in words, if you would. Keep your finger in Acts 6. Obviously, we'll be back there. Chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Okay, Matthew 13, 24. And Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field, But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? The landowner said, no, lest you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but together, but gather the wheat into my barn. Turn the page to verse 47, same chapter, Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels shall come forth and shall take out the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, in our midst, we have contenders and we have pretenders. And as this passage in Matthew tells you, God is going to be the one in the end that decides that, and I'm glad that he hasn't put that on me as your under-shepherd. I would not want that responsibility, and I don't have the brains or the discernment, the insight that God has to do that and do it well. But there, we have contenders and we have pretenders. And it's the pretenders that will bring about the squabbling that, that is coming up in, in Acts chapter 6 here. 
We have those that, that know all the Sunday school answers, that, that have the faith, or appear to have the faith, excuse me. They appear to have the faith, but in the end, God is going to sift them out. He is going to put them to the side and burn them, and they will spend an eternity separated from Him. So this is a question you need to ask yourselves. Am I a contender or am I a pretender? Do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is growing? That, it, that I am more concerned about what he thinks of my life than by what my neighbor thinks of my life? Do I have a relationship with him that he's the first one I go to when I have needs? He's the first one that I go to and praise, that I lift my heart. We talked about uh, Paul Tripp and the, talking about the song in our heart. Do, do you have a worldly song in your heart or do you have a, a godly song in your heart that is, the, that is the soundtrack of your life? And I'm quoting Paul Tripp. When you're, when you're just out walking down the street or pushing a mower or hitting your thumb with a hammer. No, no. When, when, you're, when you're going about daily tasks, whose heart, whose song is in your heart? Is it the song of the world or is it the song of Christ? Is it the song of God? Are you exalting him? Are you praising him? When you wake up in the night, talks about in Psalms, talks about having a song in the night when you can't sleep. Having a song in the night. What is that song when you lay there and you can't fall asleep? I know a lot of people, and I, I, I'll do it too, I pray. Not that I always fall back asleep right away. <laughs> Sleeping should not, or praying should not be your cure for insomnia, okay? But it's a good time to do it if you can't fall asleep. God, what, what are you trying to bring my mind to right now? Who do I need to be praying for? Sometimes it's my kids. Sometimes it's some of you. But who, who, Lord, and what? If I have a song in the night, is it one that is pleasing to you that lifts up your name, or is it a worldly song that, that would draw me away from you? He will sift out the pretenders from the contenders in the day. Last week we talked about a little bit more about the Jews, the, the, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews. In verse 12, we, we didn't talk too much about the, the, the resolution to the issue. Verse 2, the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. It's a good place to start. They didn't try to dream up a solution all on their own. They called the congregation together. They wanted to hear from the congregation it's kind of like they, 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 they weren't trying to, and we'll see, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but they, they, they don't try to impose anything on the congregation. They ask the congregation to be involved. When we decide on the color of our carpet, I'm not going to tell you what color to put down. I want the congregation to be involved. As long as it's purple, I'm okay. But... <laughs> No, and please, folks, really, I am joking. I don't want purple carpet. <laughs> but it matters what color I want only to the extent that I am one vote in the congregation. 
and I really don't care what color it is. If it would just hide stains and not show the dirt. You know, if you got a magic carpet like that, bring it and we'll put it down, all right? The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. There's different ministries listed right there. There's the ministry of the word, and there's the ministry of serving tables. Now, there's nothing in the, and and I have to take the Greek experts' words on this. There is nothing in the Greek text that indicates that there is any slight or slam going on here. It is different. They're not putting one above the other. It's just different. God gives us different gifts. God calls us to different ministries. But he calls every one of us to minister in the church. Thus, we need a nursery coordinator. It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. We don't want to be distracted, as Satan wants us to be, by worrying about another ministry. They are saying, as the apostles, they want to focus and concentrate and work in the area of their ministry, the one that God has called them to do. Select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. Men of good reputation. That's, that's kind of the horizontal here. How do other men see you? How do other people see you? When they see you, do they think that your poster just might be up in the post office? Or do they think that there's a person of good quality, high reputation? If you ever see my picture out in the post office, take it down, please. (laughs) Seven men of good reputation. They have to have a good, good, good repute in the business world. They need to be honest businessmen, not cutting corners, not trying to save a nickel by putting a cheaper screw where it requires one like this, they put one like this, whatever. In the spiritual aspect, they need to be full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Two, two things that, I mean, there's many more than that, but two, two key things that, that we're told in Scripture that we have not because we not ask, we, we don't ask for it. One is wisdom and one is faith. We should not be ashamed or embarrassed to ask our Heavenly Father for more wisdom. Father, <laughs> help. We need your insight here. And Father, we need more faith. If, if this is really the plan that you're telling us to do, Lord, you're, we need more faith. We need more faith. Father, give us faith. It is something that he will give to those, just like he gave the Holy Spirit to those that obey him. Father, we need more wisdom and we need more faith. And then they're going to put them in charge of the task to get that off of their plate. Get that? Serve food off the plate. Okay, I'll never 
quit my day job to be a comedian. And if my kids were here right now, they'd be rolling their eyes and saying, oh, there's a dad joke. Anyhow, the apostles wanted to be, verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They wanted to be about the ministry that God had given them to do. And Satan wanted them to be distracted by this other ministry, which in and of itself is a good thing but not what God had for them. Verse 5, And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Stop the presses. The whole congregation agreed on something. That was a big congregation, okay? That was a big group. If those 20,000 can agree on something, why can't smaller churches agree on a whole lot smaller things than that? Because Philippians 2 is not our priority. If it is, we would find a lot more agreement on anything and everything. Let the mind of Christ be in you, Philippians 2. Put others before yourself. That's not taught too much today in leadership courses in our business world. To put others before yourselves. To let others step on you? Ha! No way. They don't teach that. But the statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen. Amen. Okay, and all of these guys are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. They had to be men of good reputation. Philip, Prochorus, Dicanor, Timon, Parmenas, boy, and Nicholas. Sorry, guys a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. Interesting here, all of these are Grecian Jews. Not the Hebrew Jews. These are the outsiders. And they picked them they, they picked from the group of squabblers that were complaining that their widows weren't being fed properly. Oh, yeah. Now now, now we're in charge. Now we get to shortchange the, the, the Hebrew uh, widows, right? We, it's, it's payback. We can get back at them now. They were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They weren't going to go there. You and I might. But not if we're full of the Spirit. Not if we're full of wisdom that comes from God. But isn't it interesting that they picked Grecian Hebrews, or Grecian Jews, not Hebrew Jews, to run that committee? All seven of them. One of, one of my favorite leadership heroes growing up and, and the military uses Abraham Lincoln quite a bit on, on his Lincoln on leadership and, and the different skill set that he had. But do you know that when President Lincoln was in office, most of his cabinet was made up of either his political opponents from his own party or others from the other political party 
He wasn't afraid to use them. He had confidence. He knew they were skilled. But he wanted to use them. He, he wanted to hear different voices. And, and the, the, there, there were squabbles. And, and he would use his, his, his craftness, his, his ministry, to, to settle that down and get business done. Be it in the Treasury Department or the War Department. I don't think they had Homeland Security back then, but there's value to be said. And in, in people, other presidents have before and since said he was nuts for doing that. And a lot of people then in his day said, you're nuts for doing that. And I don't believe that they were all believers, but somehow God used Abraham Lincoln as our president. And, and just just that that thought on leadership, it, it, it's very it's evident here. But the important thing was that they were of good reputation. They were full of the spirit and full of wisdom. They were put in charge of taking care of that ministry. That is where their gifts lay. Now I know that we have people in this church that are ministering in areas that are not their gift, and that's not a good thing. Because we, we, we will only excel when each one of us is serving in the church where our gifts lie. Part of that pretenders, contenders thing. One of the important things, and in, in, in <laughs> I, I, I frequently tell you that when I prepare a sermon, when I'm studying during the week, and when I preach a lot of times, it's, it's back right here because the Lord knows what my needs are. Yeah, I'm going to give myself a double-barreled shot here in a couple of minutes in front of you all. I'm going to read some other pastors and let them do it, but we need to serve and minister in the church where our gifts are. Because if you're serving outside of your giftedness, you're not able to do it at full speed. You're not even able to do it as good as it could be done or as well as what God is requiring of you. This is one of those, those messages that I've shuddered all week to preach. But God's given me the confidence that I just need to say it. Folks, we need you. And you need us. The body, we need each other. Because if you are the ankle and you are not joining in and doing your ministry in the church, how would you like walking around without one of your ankles? A couple of you may feel like you do. I mean, I, I understand that. With arthritis and MS, I, I can't imagine. But for the rest of us, that our bodies are somewhat whole. Imagine walking without a knee, just gone. It's just not there. Or trying to feed yourselves without any hands. Again, we know that there are people that have overcome those deficiencies but, and, and do that humanly speaking, but that's not what God intended. That's not God's purpose in the church. And too often we are acting like that because we are missing an ankle or a knee or a hand. And so we have to... What do you say? I, I know I have a hip that's always 
out of alignment, always. I can go to the chiropractor, and two days later, it's out of whack. So the rest of the body adjusts and compensates, and then you get back pain or neck pain or other pain because it's compensating. We shouldn't be compensating. We each need to use our gifts to minister to the body, and if we're not, shame on you. Verse 6, they were brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. There was nothing magical in the hands, okay? A lot of, a lot of Baptists go, they're laying hands on people. There is no power in the apostles' hands. It is a symbol of, of them setting these men aside for this task, this ministry. We do it when we send missionaries out. And James, when the elders go and, and ask the Lord to heal somebody of an illness, once they've confessed sin and made sure that sin isn't the issue in their lives, they laid their hands on them. It, it, there, there's, there's no magic in them, okay? It's just a symbol that, that we're setting you aside for this ministry. We're setting you aside for this task. So we don't need to be afraid of that, okay? I know, I know we're, we're getting over this one, and Nehemiah is helping us with that. Because when Nehemiah read, or excuse me, in the book of Nehemiah, when Ezra read the word of God, the people raised their hands and said, Amen and Amen. They said, I know that that's not baptistical, but it's definitely biblical, and I'd rather go with the Bible than what Baptists say. So they laid their hands on them and dedicated them to the work of the ministry. They were not dedicated to the work of the ministry of the word. They were dedicated to the ministry of serving tables because that is where their gifts laid. And that was the need in the church. So they stepped up and were going to serve. Verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading and the numbers of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I love that last statement. We talked last week about the word spreading, the number continuing to increase, that it was in the imperfect tense, which means it happened, but it's continuing to happen. We should keep growing. We shouldn't, we shouldn't stop or stagnate because then we're dying, okay? It was an imperfect tense. It was continuing to happen. As the, the word of God kept on spreading. And I, 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 I can't. I, gotta, I can't resist. Acts 5.28 in the middle, and I think I did this last week too. Right in the middle it says, And behold, the, the Sanhedrin are got all the apostles there, and they're, they're getting ready to beat them. And they say, Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching. Amen and amen. That was the goal. That was the purpose. All of Jerusalem was filled with the word of God. And right here, the word of God kept on spreading. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what it needs to be doing from us. The song that we sang. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness. Are you? 
If the church doesn't grow, it's not just my fault. It's your fault too. Because we're not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not speaking with our mouths and telling others of Jesus. Love you guys, but I had to say that. Verse, verse 4, I want to go back and kind of... Oh, wait a minute. The end of verse 7 there. The priests were becoming obedient to the faith. These were the guys that were always slaughtering the lambs, putting them on the altar, okay? Remember when, when, when Christ died and, and gave his last breath on Friday, on Good Friday, the, 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 the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom because we have direct access to God now. We don't have to go through a priest. We have direct access. And these priests were, were what, some of the last ones because they had been bred for this. They, they didn't have an inheritance of land in the nation because their whole job and responsibility was to offer the sacrifices that would cover the sins of the people. I can understand why they struggled. It's, it's kind of like the Sanhedrin, why they hated the apostles so much because they were getting all the attention because the Holy Spirit was working through them and they were becoming obsolete. What they didn't realize was that if they came to Christ, they could have had that whole same Holy Spirit, but it was too much about them. It wasn't about Jesus, it was about them. And for so long, to the priests even, it had been about them carrying out the responsibility, the spiritual leadership of the people of, of the nation of Israel. So it's just so cool that some of the priests were, were finally getting it. That they were becoming followers of Jesus and obedient to the faith. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, and, and I'm going to read some quotes in uh, almost closing. It is a real ministry of the word to which pastors are called to dedicate their life. The apostles were not too busy for ministry, but preoccupied with the wrong ministry. So are many pastors. Instead of concentrating on the ministry of the word, which includes preaching to the congregation, counseling individuals, and training groups, they become overwhelmed with administration. Sometimes it's the pastor's fault. He wants to keep all the reins in his own hands. Sometimes it's the people's fault. They want him to be a general factotum. I'm not sure if I said that right. I had to look it up. But basically, it's a jack of all trades. It's not a word my generation used every day. But they, they want the pastor to be the jack of all trades. And, and in small churches, you understand that that's a little bit more part of it. And I get that. I'm not complaining at all. In either case, the consequences are disastrous. The standards of preaching and teaching decline since the pastor has little time to study or pray. And the lay people do not exercise their God-given roles since the pastor does everything himself. For both reasons, the congregation is inhibited from growing into maturity in Christ. What is needed is the basic biblical recognition that God calls different men and women to different ministries. Then the, apostle, excuse me, then the people will ensure that their pastor is set free from unnecessary administration in order to give himself to the ministry of the word. And the pastor will ensure that the people discover their gifts and develop ministries appropriate to them. The message of Acts, John R. Stott. From uh, Henry Ironside, 
Often the ministry of the word seems so, and I, I shared part of this last week, often the ministry of the word seems so powerless and weak because there is so little prayer behind it. A man of God must be a man of prayer. He must know what it is to wait on God in private if he is to have the power of God in public. The twelve said our business is to spend our time in the presence of God in order that we may receive a message from him and present that message in the energy of the Holy Ghost, that it may be used in the building up of the saints. An effective preacher is the preacher who prays in the power of God, delivers the message of God with unction from heaven and with conviction of the Holy Spirit. That very first line I read says, often the ministry of the word seems so powerless and weak because there's so little prayer behind it. That is frequently the fault of the pastor, but it's also the fault of the people. How often do you pray for the word being delivered on Sunday morning? And I I know I challenged you with this last week, but I'm going to go there again. How many of you pray every week, every day, every week, every month for the baby pantry, for our prayer and praise on Wednesday night, for Good News Club? We're done for the year now, but you can keep praying for the kids who come each week, came each week, because they still live in those homes that need Jesus. How many of you pray daily for the ladies' Bible study, for the men's Bible study? For game night. How often do you... And, and I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, folks. I do not pull this out as often as I should and utilize this. I have another list, but I'm sure that there are times where I miss somebody on this because I don't pull this out and use it. So what good is it? I'm yelling at myself here, too. I pray, but not as much as I should. Do you? A preacher who preaches out of all the frustrations and busynesses of life and all of the worryings of the church will have a weak message and a weak ministry of the word. When the preacher stands up, he should preach a message from heaven itself, having prayed, studied, and listened to the voice and mind of God. Every phase of God's work is to be filled by the moving of the Spirit of the Lord. We will never win the world to Jesus by a paid preacher and a paid missionary. Now, a a, a short memory is not always a good thing, but in my case it is sometimes because I don't, somebody in our church mentioned this to me in the last couple weeks, and I don't remember who. That's a blessing, okay, that I don't remember. They said something along the lines of, well, our, our offerings are up, our numbers are up, but, but we don't have anybody coming to salvation. We don't have any new converts. And I said, and? This is my fault? Well, sure it is, partly. Of course it is. But then we go back to our song. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. With thy mouth, with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness to all generations. How much are you using your mouth for the Lord? 
can hear a pin drop on the carpet in here. It's pretty quiet. And it should be. Because we don't use our mouths enough to tell of Jesus. What God intended was that all of his people should say good things about Jesus. He intends that all of the people magnify and praise the Lord, inviting, teaching, training, praying, and winning souls, all of us sharing in the ministry alike. When that comes to pass, the glory of the presence of the Lord will move in his house. When our people are burdened in prayer and come with great expectation, a preacher can stand in the pulpit and feel the presence of God in everyone's soul. The Lord will always crown a service with a sweet harvest when cooperative efforts are shared by the pastor and his people. That's from W.A. Criswell, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for 50 years. People, we have a responsibility. The world is dying without Jesus. And we're letting them die. With my mouth will I make known. Yes, it's important to live a life that you have a good reputation. But how much are we letting the Holy Spirit fill our lives? How much are we letting the Holy Spirit fill us with wisdom and faith? In closing, Psalm 19. Try to put a little bit of a band-aid on all the beating you just got. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanses declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours, pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed the tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man when he runs his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Reference Matthew 13. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, acquit me of hidden faults, and keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins? Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, thank you for your word. May we spend time in it this week. May we spend time in your presence, Father, so that it would be obvious to those around us that we have been with you.
Father, give us your Holy Spirit. Give us faith. Give us wisdom that only comes from you. Father, teach us to use our gifts for you. To be bold. To tell others about the goodness of Christ and what he's done for us. And we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.